0: Welcome to Funds in Focus by the senior members of the investment strategy team at FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds. Join our experts as they explore how current market trends are shaping the investment landscape. In each episode, you'll learn how a specific FlexShares ETF operates and how the market has impacted the fund, along with the potential long term implications of your client's portfolio. Now, on to the show.
1: Welcome back to Funds in Focus. Our discussion today is on the high yield marketplace. We'll talk to how investors today are evaluating the risks they're taking within their fixed income portfolio, given the ever-changing and volatile economic and market backdrop. While many parts of the world showed signs of meaningful recovery from the economic damage caused by the pandemic, there's still a lot of uncertainty regarding the future course of the virus and potential for additional stimulus. Meanwhile, the shift back to a lower for longer interest rate environment has also left investors scrambling to generate income. While some may feel high yield is too risky, others believe the asset class has earned an enduring place in a portfolio. Join me as we explore some of the implications and market drivers, portfolio diversification and contemporary ways to assess the high yield market. With me today is Ellen Chanowitz, Associate Investment Strategist for FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds. Great to have you back, Ellen. Hi, Johan, Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be back on the podcast. So before we dive into what's been driving markets, I thought it would be wise for us to kick back, uh, kick it back with a discussion of how high yield is used in a portfolio to put some context around our discussion today. If I think about a basic portfolio as a mix of fixed income and equity, say something similar to a 60-40 portfolio. I typically see high yield as a tool in the fixed income sleeve. Ellen, you and I have had different discussions about this lately, and it seems that you have a different view of the asset class. Can you tell our listeners about this? Yes, of course. So just to begin,
2: um, yes, high yield is a fixed income instrument. We're not gonna be traveling to some alternate universe and I'm not going to convince you otherwise. Um, Importantly though, when we think about portfolio construction, we look at the risk profile of an asset class to best determine how it may slot into a portfolio. So while high-yield bonds are debt instruments versus other fixed-income sectors like investment-grade corporate bonds or treasuries, the segment is typically thought of as more speculative and it may be associated with higher default rates and greater volatility. So because of this, they offer differentiated sources of return high yield bonds exhibit less exposure to interest rate risk than their investment grade or treasury type peers, but they do come with greater exposure to credit risk and higher correlations to broad equity indexes. So just to put that into context, and if we look at correlations from 1990 through um, October 30th, the broad high yield benchmark published by Bloomberg Barclays, has a correlation of 0.68 to the S&P 500. Now, if you compare that with the Bloomberg Barclays Aggregate Index, which has historically demonstrated negative correlation to the S&P over the same time period. So given these characteristics, we like to treat high yield as a risk asset. But if we take it a step further, from a risk return perspective, high yield can be an attractive tool in a portfolio context versus other risk assets like equities. So to illustrate that, over the last 30 years, the S&P 500 has returned 10.5% on an annualized basis with a standard deviation of 14.5%. The Bloomberg Barclays High Yield Index, in contrast, has returned 8.9% annualized with a standard deviation of 8.5%. And both of these data points are as of the end of the month, so October 30th. So you can see that the asset class represents a more attractive risk return profile versus equities. And in fact, when uh, you look at how optimizers use high yield in a portfolio, if they're looking to produce a portfolio of risky assets that seeks to maximize risk and return or sharp ratio, that optimizer tends to over allocate to high yield and under allocate to equities to a wide degree. Constraints have to be introduced into that process so as not to produce concentrated portfolios that may not be realistic to meet long-term goals. And typically we see that optimizers will tend to feel, fill that high-yield exposure up to the maximum constraint depending on the risk tolerances that are set for the optimizer. So earlier you mentioned looking at a typical 60-40 portfolio and we've found that including an allocation to high-yield sourced from that equity sleeve rather than the fixed income sleeve has historically produced similar returns to a 60-40 balanced portfolio with less risk.
1: I see, so thanks for that context. It strikes me that evaluating asset classes through a risk lens in this manner may allow for broader application of untethered portfolios for traditional constraints. Yeah, exactly. So sticking on the topic of risk, I want to dive a bit deeper into the market risks affecting high yield. 2020 has been an interesting year driven by the pandemic. Of course, some of the high yield headlines have dominated this year revolving around liquidity, defaults, fallen angles, monetary support in the US election. Understandably, some investors may be a bit weary. What are some of the things our listeners should be paying attention to?
2: Yeah, absolutely. 2020 has been challenging to say the least. You mentioned a variety of issues, so let's unpack some of those a bit just to give some context. In the early days of the pandemic induced crisis, we saw average option adjusted spreads of the Bloomberg Barclays high yield index widen by almost 220 basis points, peaking at 1100 on March 23rd, as investors were pricing in the impact of that sudden stop to uh, economic activity. Liquidity was also a top concern at that point as well. We saw many investors were fleeing risk assets for safe havens. Now, during that time, the Federal Reserve stepped into the marketplace, cut interest rates to zero lower bound, and then they also introduced a series of lending facilities and programs that were designed to ease credit markets and improve liquidity. However, as the credit outlook deteriorated, fallen angels, uh, or that is those bonds that are downgraded from investment grade to high yield, uh, reached 165 billion by the end of September, which far surpassed the 2019 annual total of 32 billion. And that's according to JP Morgan research. Now, most of that activity was concentrated in March March through May, excuse me, and downgrades have slowed since.
1: Yeah, it seems like there's a lot happening in the first five months. So do you think defaults follow a similar, similar pattern?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So turning to the default environment, um, just as context, defaults are seen as an indicator of overall health of the credit market. And we d- did see defaults turn meaningfully higher. Again, according to JP Morgan, as of the end of October, the par weighted default rate was 6.34%. But if you exclude the energy sector, which has of course received a lot of attention this year, defaults fall to 4.58%. Now the energy sector uh, default rate is much higher at 20.04% and it makes up 33% of total defaults uh, volume on a year-to-date basis, despite energy only representing 8 to 9% of the overall high-yield market. Now, energy has been plagued by poor technicals, uh, paired to that falling demand linked with slowing growth caused by the pandemic. But of course, there was also an increased supply as the industry was dealing with a market share war. But that is a conversation for another day, and it could be a podcast all on its own, so I won't go into to too much detail. <laughs> Right, But despite those early liquidity issues, that increased supply of fallen angels and the rising defaults we experienced, demand for the asset class recovered driven mostly by improving economic activity. And then as you mentioned on the, uh, in the introduction, the renewed search for yield. So all that said, the high yield market recovered its losses from peak to trough by early August.
1: And so now as we look forward, there's still some uncertainties on the horizon, one of which is the election. How does the announcement of Joe Biden as president-elect affect the outlook?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So here, there are still some legal challenges that we'll need to work through the system, but it is looking more likely that we will have a divided government, Joe Biden in the presidency, and a split Congress. This may bode well for risk assets, as this scenario may make it more difficult to implement regulatory and policy changes that are largely seen as hampering growth. Meanwhile, across the globe, coronavirus cases are spiking again, and many are concerned of a second wave and the associated shutdowns and economic damage that could come along with it. Counter to a second wave, in the last two weeks, Pfizer and Moderna both announced promising results of their vaccines and initial studies and markets reacted favorably. However, it will take time for those vaccines to make its way into the general public. Now investors are always going to continue to evaluate and react to market driving news, but largely I see all of these developments as positive for the asset class, especially in light of rising financial market volatility. High yield can be a great way to participate on the upside and provide some measure of protection on the downside, as I had mentioned earlier.
1: Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot to consider. But despite the volatility and uncertainty, investors may want to consider the asset class.
2: Yes, absolutely. I will point out that despite the various cross currents that we're experiencing today and we're talking about, the asset class has a long history and has been tested during various economic cycles. So over this history, high yield has demonstrated a distinct value proposition as a strategic position in a portfolio. And what's different today than say during the financial crisis is that we have greater data availability and contemporary tools
1: to evaluate the asset class. Definitely. And what are some of the lenses through which investors can evaluate the high yield issuers?
2: Sure. So over the last decade, we've seen advances in quantitative tools that take a more holistic view in identifying attractive investments within the credit sector. So this greater data availability allows us to make robust assessments of intrinsic value and credit worthiness, rather than being overly focused on fallen angels or credit ratings, um, sector-specific issues, for instance, that we talked about earlier. This is especially important given the credit sector and the and high yield specifically, which has been adopted more widely and become a more mainstream investment. Over time, we've seen that overall credit quality and high yield segment increase and income generation decrease. Ultimately, this has led to a deteriorating credit premiums and a reduction in that risk return trade-off typically observed in the high yield market. Now, in order to remedy this, we focus on value as the key lens through which to evaluate high yield credit as it potentially improves diversification. And it does that by increasing that exposure to the credit premium, creates opportunity for capital appreciation by identifying securities that are trading below their intrinsic value. And it it can generate um, attractive levels of income versus the broader high yield market. Now, if you take that in context of what we've experienced in 2020, The entire high-yield market was indiscriminately punished early in the year, and that is we saw those option-adjusted spreads move higher across the board, and many issuers were trading well below their intrinsic values. This created a lot of opportunity to scoop up attractive issues that the quantitative models viewed as mispriced by the market. Now, some may be weary to invest in value securities and those that are trading at higher uh, OAS than their market peers, of course, fearing periods of volatility and underperformance. However, uh, FlexShares research suggests that the largest driver of returns in high yield is coupon. So though markets may and will experience periods of spread widening over time, that income or yield carry that you earn by investing in value securities may drive the ability to recover quickly and generates attractive long-term risk adjusted returns. Remember that we're viewing high yields as a risk asset and this helps to uh, illustrate why we think it deserves a strategic position in a portfolio.
1: Sure, it makes sense. And with the remainder of our time, can you share how investors can implement these contemporary quantitative tools in their portfolios? Of course. So the world of fixed income indexing has
2: evolved over the years and the fixed income ETF marketplace has grown significantly. Many of the newer indexes that have launched tend to focus on certain segments of the market, like fallen angels, like credit rating buckets, or looking at the highest yielders. And in my view, these are rather simplistic ways to view the market. We believe in taking a robust and rules-based approach. The FlexShares High Yield Value Scored Bond Index Fund, that's ticker H-O-I-G-V, is designed to maximize exposure to that value factor we talked about earlier. So utilizing a proprietary value score allows us to more efficiently access credit risk premium and seeks to generate higher levels of income versus a legacy market cap weighted approach. The strategy does incorporate both quality and liquidity screens that serve to eliminate those securities that are most likely to default and the least liquid names in the index. Ultimately, we believe that this type of approach may benefit investors over the long term by potentially improving both the diversification characteristics and income generation of the portfolio.
1: Excellent. Well, I want to thank you, Ellen, for joining us today. We certainly have learned a lot. And as always, it's a pleasure.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to Funds in Focus. You can learn more about us by visiting our website, go.flexshares.com Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foresight Fund Services, LLC Distributor. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal, there is no guarantee that a specific strategy will be successful. ETFs are subject to specific risks, depending on the nature of the underlying strategy of the fund. These risks could include liquidity risk, sector risk, as well as risks associated with fixed income securities, real estate investments and commodities, to name a few.
1: Investing involves risk including possible loss of principal. FlexShares High Yield Value Squared Bond Index Fund, HYGV, is a passively managed fund that invests in high yield securities which are considered highly speculative and is subject to greater credit risk, price volatility, and risk of loss than if invested primarily in investment grade securities. The fund may invest in derivatives instruments. The fund may be subject to concentration risk of securities in a particular industry or group of industries. Please read the fund's prospectus for specific details regarding the fund's risk profile. Carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, expenses before investing. A prospectus is available at www.flexshares.com. Read it carefully before investing. FlexShares funds are distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC.